I'm Robin Amlo, Managing Editor of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBSI Views podcast. With me is Altin Kadareja, Founder and Chief Executive Officer of Cardo AI, which is a private debt technology company. Tell me, first of all, what is a private debt technology company? A private debt technology company is somebody that is focused totally on uh, providing software and technology to the private debt market, so private debt investments. In those kind of markets where standards are lacking, fragmentation is very high by definition because private debt was born and still lives just because it's very different from one to the other. And bringing the software there complies with a lot of challenges, a lot of things that we are inventing on a daily basis, but it's very, very exciting times. Now, you're asking or proposing or suggesting that a standardized European risk model should be developed. Surely, from what you've just described as the private debt market, it's going to be almost impossible to have a standardized risk model. Prior to finding Cardo, um, I figured out that while working at BlackRock, basically billions of euros of uh, private debt investments were being managed only using Excel files, Word documents, PDFs. And uh, this was crazy, crazy times to explore this, especially in 2020, 2021. So that was the, the real aha moment where... I decided to build a technology around uh, solving the problems that I, I was seeing on a daily basis. So if I can just explain very quickly on how we do it, uh, we try to connect the buy side of the market with the sell side. So on the buy side, as you know, institutional investors such as asset managers, banks, insurance and pension funds continuously are looking for yield, right? Because uh, And then they consider the private debt as some market that is very appealing alternative because of um, high interest rate potential, low correlation with other asset classes, uh, low volatility, and a lack of mark-to-market risk. Uh, And on the other side, right, we have the the sell side or the corporates, SMEs, and consumers, which are on a daily basis lacking um, their financing channels to to support their activities. Uh, Just to give you a, a glimpse on the numbers, in 2019 alone, in European Union, we had an SME financing gap of almost 400 billion euros which amounts to, uh, I would say, 3% of the GDP. So 3% of GDP of 99.5% of the companies in Europe had a financing gap. So bridging these two sides, even though it, it's difficult, it's difficult because by definition, you are different from one actor to the other. It's very, very, it's very interesting. It is also almost an opaque marketplace because effectively it's not a standardized marketplace. Absolutely. It's not standard and it's very difficult to to think about building a software when things are not standard. But the way software development has evolved in time, it's very exciting. And the way we have developed our microservice architecture, it's a way that allows, even though you have different use cases, to actually model in the software the data that you need to model and to come up with results in, in order to be faster and to be more precise in your decisions. So the way this works, Robin, just in a few words, is on a three-step basis. On the first step, we capture all the data. We clean them across different um, different systems. At the moment that we speak, we have 80-plus systems that are connected with us, such as digital lenders, banks, and third-party data providers, such as rating providers, insurance companies, and so on. Second step, we standardize this data. Because as, as you can imagine, if I receive Robin's data from London, and I want to compare those data with Altin's data from Milan, those are totally different. So I need 
a system that allows me to compare Robin without him. And on the third step, we try to model this data with a different mindset of uh, AI algorithms. So it's not like the typical uh, credit risk model that you do on a bank or on a private debt uh, market space, like we'd usually go and uh, design or develop models that go and look, for example, at probability of default on a one-year horizon period, or what is the loss given default that I'd have on this specific position, but again, in one year of time or a lifetime period of, uh, of analysis. However, now with, uh, with this new credit product that have been born in the recent years, such as buy now, pay later, revenue financing, salary financing, inventory financing, all these new types of credit products cannot run anymore on the old credit risk models, like, as I mentioned before. So we have come up with these new ways of new models, like I want to, for example, predict the delays that you'd need to pay back the, the, the money that you have taken, or the propensity that you have as Robin to pay back whatever you have required, or for example, revenue limit estimation on a revenue-based financing. So our idea is to really build this credit risk pipeline along with a product, credit product innovation pipeline. So those two things have to work hand in hand in order to make sure that the, the market comes together and can actually prosper. Well, it's a very simple point, but if you get the credit risk right, it allows you to price the debt right. Correct. And, and getting the credit risk right is not an easy task, right? It requires a lot of analysis, a lot of uh, activities. And what I would say, for example, that our modeling or our data science team has done in the past three to four years is to, to really focus on collecting a lot of data. And so we have, we have designed a, a very big data environment where we play around with lots of type of models and we host other data as well. These data are typically from all around Europe. And uh, we, we, we have data, for example, from the borrower perspective, we have data from cash flow perspective, from insurance data, we have data from alternative sources such as social networks, web footprint from documents that we receive. So being, as, uh, being in the middle of all these actors' interactions, as you can imagine, we receive many data and we try to, to make sense of those data. So if I would say why our models, for example, are working good and are being used by our clients, it's first because we have a lot of data. Second, because we our models made it able, I would say, to, to connect the dots, right? So given that we see some pattern of behavior in one side of the market, we try to model the same pattern in some other market just to make sure that actually everything is fitting right. And actually the debt price is the correct one to put into your portfolio. And third point is, of course, the talent. I mean, if you choose top engineers and top data scientists, you'd make it work to have very good models to, 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 to be used and to have a good accuracy in practice. I think the important thing, and I'm going to come back to this, is getting the price right. Because if you get the price right, the market is going to grow because people will find it easier to get funding when they need funding. People who are providing funding by investing in the debt are going to have more confidence in the debt. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, pricing is, is the most important uh, element in the analysis of any private debt uh, investment opportunity. And pricing, as I, as I mentioned before, comes out, out of the risk and comes out, out of other ideas uh, that um, we, we, have, we, have, we have put into our, what we call, portfolio optimization algorithm that um, 
it's an optimization problem and a solution that is being given to our clients, which actually tries to model not only the risk, but also uh, the propensity for the diversification that you want on your portfolio or the other levels like cash drag that you do want to, to have into your portfolio or uh, sectoral dislocation strategies that, for example, as we speak, are very, very important. We see lots of our clients using it because we have seen many uh, sectors that are impacted by the war we have in Russia and, uh, and Ukraine. And uh, now what the private debt uh, asset managers are asking, how should I dislocate my sectors from one to the other, given that I would expect to have some impact in the in the short to medium term in some sectors that I already have in my portfolio. So pricing is a fundamental piece of the equation, I would say. Well, let's turn the spotlight now on, on Takado AI itself. What's your next step? How are you going to grow? How are you going to see the market grow? One of the next steps that we see is, is obviously try to deepen even more the power of these models that we have de- developed and uh, try to receive and to, to buy as more data as possible. So we increase the accuracy of the model and we extend the asset classes that are being used by our clients today. And of course, try to uh, get into the banking banking sector as well. We already have a couple of clients in that uh, area because banks themselves can use these models. These are models that are working quite fine. Uh, in different asset classes and banks. Um, typically, what happens today is that they have a very strict and um, I would say regulatory compliant credit risk models for their own banking book. But what banks have is the local reach and geographical reach that none of these asset managers do have. So if we put these two needs together, so on one side, the asset managers that need private debt opportunities and banks that cannot underwrite specific opportunities just because their models are not allowed to, or their credit policy does not allow to, or because they have reached some concentration limits, uh, they'll just use their power of local reach and provide these opportunities to the asset managers themselves in order to underwrite for them books. So putting these two forces together for us is one of the best next steps that we can embark on. Altin Kadareja, founder and chief executive officer of Cardo AI, thank you very much.